Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, in, in Calgary, it's a um, beautiful, white, snowy day. And uh, so for those that have braved the roads to come out this morning, good morning and welcome here. For those of you that are at home saying, yeah, no, I'm not leaving, uh, welcome to you too who are joining us on the live stream. We're going to have a great morning this morning, and I'm going to just invite you. This is like a one hour, you know, it's kind of the Lens Crafters commercial, you know, that you, we used to watch. You, we're, we, we'll get you in and out in about an hour, okay? That's our guarantee. Give or take a few minutes. But um, because it goes quick, I think it's always, I always need the reminder to be able to just, once I get in here, to kind of turn off all the distractions. And what I often will do is when I walk in, I go, okay, um, this moment here, this gym session is for me now. I've spent my week focused on a lot of different things and taking a lot of care of a lot of other people. All right, this is for me now. So I kind of lock in and then I kind of do this thing of why am I here? I get just a few mental checks to kind of say, look, you've gone through a lot <laughs> to just show up today. And so you're here for a reason. And I just want you to remind yourself why it is you're here, whatever that might be. I'm guessing that there's some part of this journey, this questioning, this life that you're just wanting to think deeper about and be more intentional about, maybe to live a more meaningful life. I'm guessing that of all that's going to get done and said this morning, that there might be some nuggets that are just for you. I, I find if my heart and my focus is in the right place, almost every week, something lands for me. So I hope that's for you too. So I'm going to just invite you to breathe this morning. Come on in. This is our first morning here at Friends Church where we've relaunched coffee. So if you didn't, if you just came in in a beeline and walked right by the coffee, you're more than free to get up and reload and uh, come on in. Let's just enjoy our morning together. Let's make the most of it. And uh, if you're online this morning, I hope that you will be able to set yourself in a place where you can be completely distraction-free, or as little as possible anyways, to make the most of your hour, all right? Enjoy. I want to, I don't know if you all have met Joe. Joe has led an, a number of times uh, here at Friends Church. He's normally teamed up with Kyla. Kyla's in here. He's taken over. They've got some great music, and uh, I just invite you to sit back and enjoy. We also learned that you can do punk folk or folk punk, whatever that genre is. That is awesome. I'm like, I guess you just pick your things and move them together, which is great. Good morning, everyone. I'm Trevor. I brought my coffee up just to remind myself. We have coffee again. Can we give a big applause to the coffee crew? Oh, it's magical to have a cup of coffee in the morning while you're watching people. It's like, oh, my focus is better. I, my hands are warm. Life is a little bit better. And today, yeah, that's a good day to not think about outside and just have a nice warm cup of coffee in front of you for sure. Unless you're a skier, in which case I hope you're really happy. And for the rest of us, we want the snow to stay in the mountains for you. We love you, but we don't need it to come into the city. My role here is just to remind us that this is us. We are the group that financially supports Friends Church. And as Jeff was talking about this morning, 
the work that we do here and the financial support that we give goes not just to our city, but we're making a difference in the world and we're hearing stories like that where, oh, sorry, that was like our programming meeting. I can't take that. It's Vince's story. Stories where we're impacting people, where people are really feeling that there's a place where they can come with their doubts and their questions and be accepted. And I hope you feel that when you come in here. We're meeting you wherever you are, and every one of us is in a different place in life, and that's okay. We all have a little bit of a different spiritual journey, and that's okay too. If you've got a little notice from us to please switch over your payments, please do that sometime this month. We're trying to save about $3,000 of administration and just being good stewards of your dollars, so that is really, really appreciated just to change our systems up a little bit and make it a little bit easier. So we have that to do this week. My lovely wife and I are going to have a great day to just always spend time together. We'll probably have some wine maybe on that one. It should only be a quick turnaround, so that would be great. And we really do want to thank you for your contribution and for keeping this rolling. Have a great morning, everybody. Enjoy the coffee. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> Let's applaud all of our volunteers. We got a tech team in the back, Krista, Nathaniel, Yannick. We have coffee. We have volunteers downstairs. We have board members, people doing. If you're hearing my voice and it's six months from now, you can thank the podcast team and the stream team. So there's a million volunteers. If you ever want to volunteer, we'd love to have you. Um, I want to start with a really disturbing story. In fact, it's a story that in my Bible, I don't, I don't know if you all have Bibles, but I have a Bible that I study with, and I put notes in my Bible, and for about three decades, I've basically had a WTF next to this little story. Like, what the F do I do with this thing? Now, we've been talking about the nation of Israel going into the promised land. They're right on the edge. It's like this place that they want to live that represents safety and everything, and they're right on the edge of it. And this story is them kind of taking a bit of a journey to get into the promised land. And so this will all apply to you in about two seconds. But before we get there, this is how the story goes. They walk down the road, and they run into a nation led by a king named Sidon. And then it says this. They had a battle, and then they killed. Can you throw up the quote for me? They utterly destroyed the men, women, and children. They left not a single survivor. It's a story in the Bible. Doesn't that leave you with just a sick feeling? Like they went to battle with someone and their armies met, but they didn't stop there. They won the fight and then they killed everybody in that city to the women and children. And the Bible has this kind of like, yay, to that story. Does anyone feeling a little bit kind of disgusted right now? Like, let's just take our Bibles and throw them out the window and be done with this thing. For years I'm going, what, what do I do with that? It's been used to, to justify horrific acts. Do we throw it out? Do we do nothing with it? I was looking, our Jewish ancestors, so very much later, 2,000 years later, came up with this concept called Midrash Agadah. It basically means take a piece of a story, sometimes it's just a word, 
and apply it to your context. Does anyone have any guesses how I'm going to take that story and apply it to our context? I'm going to do it through a movie that we watched just before Christmas. I'm one of those people who likes Christmas movies. I don't know why. It's Christmas. You're supposed to watch Christmas movies. There's a thing. I don't know. And the, the, the story is just before Christmas, there's a girl who lives on the East Coast, a guy who lives in the mountains, and they meet online. Lovely. Start texting, messaging. It's all very flirty and very cute, and you know, everything, every kind of throw it is responded to beautifully. It's just this like lovely thing, and then all of a sudden they call, and it's kind of this serendipitous, oh, I didn't mean to call you. Oh, wow, you sound really awesome. And then they're like falling asleep talking on the phone together. Like it's just this beautiful romantic story. And so it's Christmas, and she goes, I know, I'm going to surprise him. Fly to his house for Christmas. So she gets all dressed up. She's from, you know, she's got like high heels on, a beautiful dress, a great jacket, her hair's all done. And she shows up in this little Colorado town, knocks on his door. And can you guess how closely he matches his picture that he posted online? It's not one of those pictures that's like 10 years different, you know, like I post a picture with, I, you know, I have brown hair and I'm not gray and wrinkly and old. It's not that. It's not even a picture where he's, you know, 50 pounds different in weight. No, he's posted a picture of somebody of a different ethnicity, a different age, completely different him in every different way. She knocks on the door. He shows up. She's like, that's not him. He's like, oh. The technical term for this, I learned this, is called catfishing. Anyone heard that term? I actually tried to find the etymology of the term. I don't understand it. So if you're a cod fisherman and you understand how catfishing applies to this, please call me or email me, Vince at Friends Church, because I have no clue how this works. But in our vernacular, catfishing means I misrepresent myself online. Capital C catfishing is I'm a completely different person. He's probably like a medium sea catfishing, right? He used a completely different picture. And so, of course, we're, we're watching this movie, and we're going, well, how dare he do that? And she's just, you know, you know, so upset about this. How dare you lie to me? I can't believe you did this to me. And is anything we ever did true? And how could I ever trust you? And I can't believe, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's a movie, so it goes on longer than it probably should. But here's the funny thing about the movie. The picture the guy stole is of his kind of like the town rival who's beautiful and active and built and all the things that he wants to be. And in her mind, that's who she's fallen in love with. So when she meets him, she's like, actually, I'm going to stick around town for a little while longer and get to know him. Now he's ruggedly handsome, not like someone you might know. Likes climbing. I, I know there's a lot of similarities. He's buff. That one might not be the same, but whatever. And so they meet, and she's like, oh, he's everything outdoorsy. And he goes, he meets her, and they're kind of connecting, but you can tell it's a little awkward until he says, hey, do you climb? You know, rock climb. Now, this girl's from the East Coast. The only thing she's ever climbed is into her high heels to go out dancing. 
Like the idea of climbing up in rocks, she's scared of heights and everything. But what does she say? Of course. Of course I'm into rock climbing. I'm awesome at rock climbing. And we realize that the first guy catfished her. But isn't she catfishing the second guy? But wait, we say. Using a different picture, well, that's just offside. But saying you're into something you don't really like? Is that fair? How big of a sea are we dealing with here? Big sea catfish? Little sea catfish? And at this point, you're wondering, how in the world am I going to tie catfishing into genocide? <laughs> Anyone want to take a swing at that one? <laughs> I think there's a core piece underneath both of these stories. When I realized what was going on, I realized I am doing this all the time. Anyone get angry in traffic? You know, you're in a hurry, you're late for something, you're flying down the road, you're trying to get someplace, someone slowly, there's one lady, I swear she was going like 60 in 110 zone last night. I'm trying to get home, I'm hungry. Did I pass her with a lot of room to spare? There might have been less room when I pulled in right in front of her to express to her in the kindest voice I can, you're not driving right. Could you please go faster? Anyone a little bit on the angry driving side? I was talking to a friend recently. This one's a bit darker. She has a friend who's an addict. And when that guy goes on a bender, he calls her at his darkest moment. She's getting these calls in the middle of the night. Someone she loves desperately. She's going, I don't know what to do. I keep saying, go get help. You need to get help. But he won't. So I think I'm just going to not, like I'm going to call him and say, look, unless you go to rehab, I'm not answering your phone calls anymore. Anyone made something conditional? I'll love you if you behave this way. I'll take care of you if it's something that I value. I will pay for things as long as I think those things are worth being paid for. All of this has the same mechanism. It's seeing the world through an ends justifies the means mentality. Let me go back. My friend is trying to save her buddy's life. That's her ends. That's what she desires in life. And she's willing to say to him, no, I won't even talk to you anymore unless you go to rehab. The ends, saving his life, justifies her being really harsh with him. Go back further. Catfishing. I want love. I want to be with someone. I want to connect with someone. I want to feel love and be loved. I, I want all that. And so doesn't it allow me to just do a little bit of fudging on my profile? You know, Vince, less 10 pounds. Vince, 20 years ago. If not 20, how about 10 years ago? Five, four? The ends, desire to be loved justifies the means. Let's take it back to the very first story. 
They walk into a land, they have a battle, and they end by killing everybody. How in the world could that be justified? And I don't think it can, but let me give you some pieces of history around that story. Anyone watch the Northman movie? Any fans? It's a bit of a bad movie. I'm going to wreck it for you anyways. It's a story that starts with the king and his kid. And a rival comes in, kills the, the king. And his son's left. They're trying to kill him because what happens when you have an offspring that's alive after a coup? You get rebellions. You get people unifying. Oh, you're not the king. You're the king. It's the true king here. So now we start rebelling. So you have all this kind of pain and suffering. And so the whole Northman movie is based on this idea that the son's alive and he comes back to haunt the person who took over. The story of Sihon it says a little bit earlier, it says, it's kind of like a rephrasing of the line I gave you. It says, after the battle, they killed his offspring. Okay. We've seen stories, we've seen a million movies where the offspring of a king after a war is killed. And the idea is, it's this horrific means to create a peaceful end. Does it warrant just a genocide? No. But there's a piece of this that you go, I wonder what ends they're pursuing. The story goes on. Um, there's this idea that the promised land, this place that they would go to, would be fully formed. So not a place of safety, a place where they could raise their kids. Yes, all of those things. They've been living out of tents for 40 years, metaphorically 40 years. It's not actually 40. 40 is a theological number. It just means that they've gone through a time of trial. But they've been living in this place where they're not sure if they're going to have food or water or safety. And so the promised land was going to have all of that. Their end is not just, you know, conquest. It's not just being horrific people. They're going, no, no, we want to raise families. We want to put down roots. We want to live there. In their myth, the promised land would be fully built for them. It would have towns. It would have homes. It would have walls. That's what they believed Yahweh, their sense of the divine, promised them. Can you see an end turn to shape in your mind? Does it justify genocide? No. But you can understand where they're leaning. They have this, this picture of the world, and if they need to kill off some people to do it, in their mind, it seems justified. When that finally hit me, it scared the crap out of me. Because I realized what an end can justify. We've seen it through the whole world, right? Putin has an end. Putin has something he wants. It's justifying horrible invasion. I have, there's a, I wouldn't call my neighbor, somebody around my Safeway by my house is very upset 
I can't quite figure out what it is, but it's something to do with the pandemic and something like that. He literally yells at you with a bullhorn when you go by. There's something that he thinks is re- valid that justifies him yelling at complete strangers, telling us these horrible things because he has an end in mind. Can you see the power of ends in our lives? Look at your relationship. Friend, family, partner, whatever. You have an end that says, you're going to treat me this way, and they don't. What do you feel justified in doing? Can you give them the silent treatment? Can you snap at them? So sick of you. It's an end justifying a means. Bad ends still justify bad means. And suddenly I was going, holy crap, what ends do I have in my head? What wants do I have that I'm justifying all kinds of bad behavior for? Sit with that for a minute. If an end in the people of Israel's minds justified genocide, what will a bad end do in our lives, in our world? Suddenly that story became very sobering for me. First, I thought, okay, well, (laughs) you know how we have these emotional reactions to things? That's it. No more ends justifying the means. There's no end that can justify means, blah, blah, blah. I'm scared. I watched people in my lives. I have a friend. He desperately wants to not feel pain. The amount of addictions he's engaged in to try and make that go away has been life-destroying for him. It's an end, justifying a means. Watched a couple the other day. The one couple, the entire time, nagged the other couple. Just like, me, me, everything, me, me, in front of all of us, me, me, me. Belittling, tearing down. The end is justifying the means. Once I got over my emotions, that took a little while. Went a little black and white there for a little while. Apologies. It happens. We stage two things now and again. I started to realize, wait a second. What if we build a framework around our means? What if we build a framework about what will justify? It's not like, okay, I want the promised land and I want it all built, so I'm going to kill everyone. Let's, let's put a little bit of <laughs> borders or like, okay, we don't do that and we don't do that. So I thought, well, that's pretty good. Good, Vince, you're a smart guy. Nice, well, I'll just solve that one. So I thought, what if we say, okay, no, no, no illegal means, none. There's no, there's no ends that will justify being illegal. Anyone seen the movie Les Mis? Maybe movie, a couple different things. Latest one, Hugh Jackman. What's Hathaway? She was incredibly good in that one. But the movies, or the show is about Jean Valjean, who is a prisoner and gets uh, released from prison, but is put on parole, but he escapes parole. Fast forward, he becomes a company owner, 
And Cosette, his, one of his workers, gets sick. And she has a daughter, but she can't take care of her daughter anymore. And so he adopts the daughter. She lives in safety. She, ha- she has food to eat. She has a house to live in, clothes. All because he's broken the law. If he's doing the legal thing, he has to go back to jail, in which case she is no longer going to have support. She's no longer going to have her benefactor. She's now going to be destitute, poor. In that era, that meant sex work. Selling her body, her sexuality, to pay for food. Well, Vince is really smart and justify the means. There's no way, no illegal means, no more. Lame is just kind of poked a big hole in that, didn't it? Because for him to do the legal thing means she goes into sex work. Not voluntarily, it's not what she wants to do. She's forced there. Do the ends of taking care of a young woman who needs support justify him escaping his parole? Kind of think so. What was it, 1950s? Rosa Parks sitting on a bus. In that era, it was legal that if you were sitting in the front of the bus and you were a person with dark skin, colored person, and someone white came in, you had to get out of your seat in the front and go to the back of the bus. Rosa's had enough. I will not move from my seat. This is illegal. It started a move towards equality based on race and skin color. So Vince's smarty pants, no illegal means, that doesn't work very well, does it? And I think there's times when we have to ignore the law. I think there's times we have to do things illegal. I'm not talking speeding because I'm upset. I'm talking about something that's worth it. When I was thinking about it, I thought, what if we all had a kind of a rule that said, if we're going to break the law to justify, like we have an ends that says it justifies me breaking the law, let's just all take like a 24-hour pause on that one. Sit with it for 24 hours before we're just like, ha-ha, I'm going to break the law. No, no, maybe legality isn't the thing that creates the structure we need. But after 24 hours of sitting with it, we're still like, no, I do need to protest that. I do need to step outside the law there. The ends justify the means. (laughs) At first I was thinking, do the ends ever justify the means? And I was thinking about Jerry, my coach, sitting right there. Do you know, anyone know Jerry? Jerry, give it a little wave. That's Jerry. Jerry is a miracle. A couple years ago, they put Jerry on an operating room table. They took a big magic, you know those magic things where they put the person in the thing and then they cut him in half? That's what they did to Jerry. They put him on an operating room table. They cut him in half. 110 stitches from here to here. They cracked him in half. They stick their hind in there, grabbed his lungs, tossed those out because they were complete garbage. They found a donor, they stuffed the lungs back into him, sewed him back up, folded him back up, 110 stitches, and then, look, he's alive! Woo! 
the magic cutting the person in half trick. Why do I say that? It's this, his surgery is the most invasive surgery they do at all. It's the most invasive surgery. There's no surgery that does more damage to the body than his surgery. How long were you in the hospital for? The first time, not the, all the other times, the first time. <laughs> 60 days. And I went to visit him. He was a hot mess. Like he was the walking dead. But without it, he would have died. You were 30 days when they, when they found a set of lungs for me, they figured he had about 30 days of life left. They were saving his life. The right ends can justify the most invasive surgery we've ever invented as human beings. The ends justify the means. Okay, so legal system's not going to work. We need to think about that. I thought, what about morality? Again, Les Mis, Cosette, the, the woman who used to work for him, she gets sick. The only thing she can do to get money to, to sponsor her child before he's adopted is to go into sex work. Some would say sex work is immoral. But it's to save her kid's life. Not to mention, most of our morality is built around religious groups. Religious groups form morality often. And chances are, every one of us has a story where we've stepped outside of some religious group's morality. The ends justify the means. If the means are immoral, I can see it. What do we do? Kind of got you guys in all in a quagmire. This is where I've been the last month. It's just a mess. I keep looking at people now, thinking if the ends justify the means, and they're acting like that, what do they want that's justified that? The other day, my wife, my wife's basically an angel. She puts up with me, whatever. But she's a little snarky with me. I know you can't even imagine it. She's kind of a little bit like, Like, I'm ready to go in, like, how dare you talk to me that way? And I had a moment where this genocide story came to my head. I said, wait, 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 Clausen, stop. Stop freaking talking for once in your life. What's justifying this behavior to her? And I realized she just got a work email. I could tell there was something big that had happened. Just as I was trying to say something to her, and she snarked back at me. If I dealt with the means, I would have been like, how dare you talk that way? When I see it through this lens, I go, wait a second, what's going on? Oh, she needs to deal with that email. And in a moment of pure, like, miracle land, <laughs> this message is in my head, and I said, Babe, do you just need to deal with that email? She's like, yeah. I was like, well, that went a lot smoother than the usual. If the ends justify the means, 
what if we stopped looking at the means and started looking at what justified it? What if the people around us, instead of looking at how dare you say that or why'd you do that or what's that person doing? I watch cancel culture all the time. I think it's ends justifying the means. A group says, this is how we want society to work. You transgress that and so we're gonna publicly shame the crap out of you. We're gonna throw you out of the village digitally, socially. Horrific. You would never do that. But what's the ends that's justifying that? I'm starting to realize, oh, that's what's going on. The society that they want is justifying them canceling somebody. It's starting to make sense. I'm going, oh, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Remember a while ago I told you guys a story? I was talking about um, evil. How did how do we conceive of evil? And I said, okay, there's this parable. You're standing on the edge of a pool. There's a kid in the middle, and the pool is deep enough so when they fall in, they can't swim and they can't touch the bottom. If someone doesn't take care of them, they're going to drown. But for you, it's maybe up to mid-thigh. You're totally fine. Kid falls in, you're standing on the edge of the pool. What do you do? This is audience participation portion. Save the kid, right? Okay, and this is going to help us understand the ends justify the means. What happens, and this is a Peter Singer story, great philosopher. He says, what happens if you're on the way to the theater, you have your best shoes on, your best, you know, tuxedo dress, whatever you're wearing that day, and the kid falls into the pool? What do you do? Okay, let me change the story a little bit. Kids now playing on the edge of the pool. The pool's only about knee-deep to them. They're not going to drown but they are wearing a really, their favorite pair of shoes. You know, I don't know what kids wear these days, Nikes, Hello Kitty, I don't know. <laughs> you tell I don't have kids. Fill in whatever kids wear at this point into this part of the story. The kid's wearing those kind of shoes. And they fall in, and now they're freaking out because they're wrecking their shoes. They're not in any danger. And you're sitting over there in your best shoes, and your best outfit, and your best thing, and you're watching the kid. What do you do? <laughs> get naked hold on a second I'm just going to take everything off here hold on <laughs> can you see how it changes there's a whole area of philosophy that deals with this it's called utilitarianism utilitarianism says actually can you throw up the quote for me Nathaniel let me just read it from Peter Singer's in every situation, the right thing to do is the one that has the best consequences and by best consequences does the most to increase the net surplus of happiness over misery. When the child's life was there, a life against my shoes, easy, right? Kid's life. Their Hello Kitty shoes versus my like super fancy shoes, They might be happy because I saved their shoes, but I'm going to wreck my shoes. Mine are better than theirs. I can buy them a new pair. In other words, increase the total amount of happiness to the great extent possible. What I realized is I was going at this the wrong way. I was trying to figure out how to control the means, how to control what we do control the genocide what I realized is I was focusing on the wrong end of that sentence 
if the ends have the power to justify insane things, what if we looked at the ends, our desires, through that lens? What if we said, no, 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 there's wants that I have. Now, let me just take a sidebar here. I'm just going to call it an excursus. Isn't that a fancy word for like a rabbit trail? But if you say it's an excursus, it's not really a rabbit trail. It's like a technical rabbit trail. If you have desires, if you have ends that you're not conscious of, this conversation doesn't really make a ton of sense. Because in Singer's world, what you do is you take your desires and someone around you's desires and you try and figure out how to create the greatest sum of happiness for both of you. But if you don't know what your ends are, if you don't know what your wants are, this doesn't make sense. Because you just go, well, I, I just have to go get the kid. I just have to go and make supper for those people. I just have to do what they ask me to do. I just have to, I just have to, I just have to. And you're going, no, 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 that's the, some happiness for them. Part of this is to understand, who am I? We have a spiritual model that we've been using the last little while. I, them. It's basically this balance that says, who am I? What do I want? Who are they? What do they want? Peter Singer says, the goal in life is to find a balance between the two that brings up the happiness of both of them. That's what your ends should be in life. Not a narcissistic ends, not a people-pleasing ends, but an end that balances both. You don't just jump into the pool and wreck your shoes because the kid's upset. <laughs> Me and my wife, she's like, well, I had to take off my shoes, then I go get the kid. I was like, I'd stand on the edge and be like, get your butt over here. I'm not going to that water to get you. Your shoes are already wrecked. Come on, get out of there. If you don't know your ends, there's a great tool. We've talked about a lot. Um, attachment theory, islands and waves, these ends you have that you maybe don't know. Islands want distance in their relationships. Waves want closeness. That end is driving you in your relationship if you're not conscious of it. I use the Enneagram, uh, Enneagram Institute. Basically has nine people groups. I tend towards the eight side. It says the thing that I want, the hidden desire, my end that I don't even know about until I started studying this is that I want control to live my life the way I want to live it. <laughs> Sing it, sister. <laughs> That's my hidden desire. I lived most of my life not knowing it. Jeff has been open about it. He says, I'm a two. Twos tend to want their hidden desire, their hidden end is to be loved. That's why they're often givers when they're unhealthy to give too much, to earn love. Fours are trying to find happiness in their life in a way that makes sense. They see it all around them and they're going, no, no, there must be something, but I don't know how to find it, so I'm just going to be like loud in myself. Can you see how these ends impact the world around you? Let's take it to Peter Singer now. Let's assume you all know your ends. If you don't, there's an email. Uh, Enneagram, what is it? Enneagram.com? Sign up for their daily email. Every day I get an email that tells me what ends I have 
that I should be conscious of. And now, do the Peter Singer thing. How do I look at the person next to me and say, what is their end and how do I balance it against mine? How do I make the greatest sum of happiness? Sometimes it means a hard conversation. Sometimes it means negotiation. Sometimes it means I don't get all that I want, but the people around me get more of what they want. And then I realized, let's take it all the way back to the very beginning. The nation of Israel is standing there next to the promised land, looking at the promised land. I kept thinking the problem was the genocide, and yes, it is a problem. But I think the core problem is all they were thinking about is themselves. They couldn't give two rats butts about them. What would have happened if they said, hey, we want that land. What do you want? Well, we want to stay here. Okay. How do we make the most happiness for both of us? What's the ends in your life? Do you know it? Are you conscious of it? Do you realize the ends you have in relationships, in work? People are like, why are you a workaholic? Well, because my end is to be successful. That's why I keep saying yes. That's why I keep checking me. Do you understand your ends? What you want? What's driving you? Do you understand why the people around you, as soon as they do something funny, you get upset, you get spicy, you get cranky? Focusing on the means, oh, I won't raise my voice in my relationship. Okay, that's good. We have this whole illegal, immoral thing that we can kind of put a, a framework around the, our means, what we're justifying doing. But the problem is, that kind of is the symptom. It's not the problem. Because a bad ends, a selfish ends, a people-pleasing ends, will never work. It will always be unbalanced. So do you know your ends? Do you know what you want? Do you know what the people around you want? We talked about Ukraine a couple weeks ago. I said, are they part of your they? Right? I want to go and buy myself a new dirt bike. They would like f money for food to feed them. What's the total sum of happiness that I have to create between the two? Wouldn't it be easy if it was just like super simple to make that equation work? That's why I think it's spiritual, because it's hard. It's figuring out the balance between me and them, you and me, the people around you and you. And then doing the work of figuring out consciously what do we all want here, and then how do we create the total sum of happiness that increases for all of us? Not just for me. Not just for you. For we. I think this story about the Bible or the, the nation of Israel genociding a group of people is a story of a cautionary tale that says bad ends are bad. They will justify all kinds of horrible things. And so what I want to leave you with is this. Become conscious of your ends. Become conscious of what you want. Pay attention to it. Be a little scared of it. A bad end will justify all kinds of bad behavior. 
but also know that there's people around you, what you're seeing is that what's been justified. If you can, look underneath their behavior and say, what's driving it? Are they feeling scared? Are they feeling unloved? Taken for granted of? Stressed? The spiritual journey says, at least our model says, I am not alone. It says I'm important, but I'm not alone. May we live in a way that honors the we, that increases the sum total of good for everybody. May we have wants and needs and ends that are truly we-based where we and they are blessed by it. That's my take on the story of genocide in the Bible. Have a great week, everyone. Trevor's back next week. It's a great message. Enjoy the snow. And if you want to go for a run this afternoon, give me a call. I love running in this weather. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone.